everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. I think Austin lost his notes. I didn't lose my notes, I just lost my place. See, this is why I do it all digitally. The cloud puts everything exactly where I want it. But where's the heart, the soul, the waste of paper? See, I must not hate trees as much as you do. Like, trees are the worst. They make leaves in the yard, and it's like, oh, they provide us with oxygen. Big whoop. I read a bunch of those worst reviews of national parks, and one of them was, the trees blocked the view. And I think the rocks were all gray. It's funny, this is actually usually the opposite of our conversation. I'm the one who actually hates nature because I'm allergic to everything. Oh my, you really are allergic to everything. Like, we were in just a mildly dusty place, and it was bad. Oh gosh, and like just last week... I was just a constant, I was scratching my torso to the point where I was bleeding. And then I finally figured out, oh, I just switched back to a detergent that I used about two months ago. Must be allergic to it now. And sure enough, that's what it was. Oh my God. It was really bad. Like, ugh. Well, on top of that, it's been uh, quite the week. I had my birthday. Yay! Uh, I'm as old as he is now. Boo. I don't know. We went and saw the play Puffs. It was awesome. Yeah, Austin's a Hufflepuff. I am very Hufflepuff. And I'm a Slytherin. So he said that he had never felt more seen. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how much longer it's running at the Coterie Theater, but if you are in Kansas City area and you get a chance and you're a Harry Potter person, it is a fun one. Go see it. I enjoyed it. It's like, I am not a threat. Please be my friend. And we were going to go to Milton Pot afterwards, but then I said they didn't have a reservation for like an hour and a half. And I'm like, ugh, they're busy. I don't want to drive to the plaza when they're busy. And then we drove by another restaurant we were going to go to. And the parking lot was full. And we were like, ugh, we don't want to deal with that either. Basically, that gives you the summary of exactly the kind of people we are. If anything is mildly inconvenient, especially when it comes to parking our cars, we just won't do it. It's like we eventually got like, you know, carry out. And but the problem is we are both uh, very responsible adults. And had not eaten that entire day. And this was like 7 o'clock at night. So I like made something really fast and we ordered food and it was awesome. Then we talked about how we need to eat healthier as we are cramming french fries into our faces. They were good french fries though. We are going to start eating healthier though. It's just one of those things that we go through phases like everybody else I think where we're really good about it and then we stop being good about it. It's like you don't eat healthy all the time because then you can't have buffalo wings. I think if you're doing it right, you can still have buffalo wings. I don't know. Okay, awesome. There's a difference between being able to have buffalo wings and still eat healthily and me allowing you to have buffalo wings. I don't follow you. Because I eat all of the buffalo wings. She does eat all the buffalo wings. Then she yells at me for eating buffalo wings. It's like, Austin, why'd you eat the last buffalo wing? It's like, it was the only one I had. (laughs) Then she beats me. (laughs) She buffaloes me. Oh my god. And today is daylight savings, and I don't, I have a, I have insomnia, but I was like, I'm going to get up this morning, I'm going to finish up the last (laughs) of my research, because I need to put the color into it, because right then it was just like all the facts, and then we're going to record, and it'll be great. I didn't get up too much later than my alarm went off. Like, I was like, okay, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm going to get up. I got up, I took a shower, I finished the thing, and then I realized that my tablet was was dying, so I'm like, I'll plug that in for a few minutes, and then the next thing I knew, it was three hours later. Yep, she just fell asleep. Yeah, I fell asleep. I had the blanket pulled over my head. Like, I definitely did not want 
any fucking part of this daylight savings bullshit. No, and you know, daylight savings is bullshit. Come on. It serves no purpose. It just makes everybody grumpy for a few weeks. It throws off everyone's schedule. It confuses our cats, like, to no end. Yeah, it increases the number of heart attacks and car accidents. And when I was a teacher, we lost usually about a week of instructional time because we already have proof that school starts too early for teenagers. This makes it start an hour earlier for so for at least a week, maybe two. Even my best students, my best, I mean, the I mean that in the traditional sense where they would, you know, come to school, ready to learn, blah, blah, blah. Even they'd be completely glazed over because their bodies just couldn't handle it. And it's not fair to them. Also, I fell asleep while driving during daylight savings. That's really not good. Yep. But I remember teachers got to be there like an hour earlier than the kids. Uh, On the bright side, though, um, it sounds like they've had a case of coronavirus around us. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to a really slow week at work as no one tries to go to a public place. I'm not too worried about it because based on what it sounds like, this person had been on vacation and then has just been hanging out with their family. So they haven't gone anywhere. Oh my gosh. Someone I work with was just on vacation came back. Came back. Do you think it was her Definitely. or him? Definitely. <gasps> I'm going to go wash my hands and put on a breathing mask. I actually did think we had a coworker out of town. I'm like, what coast did they go to? But it was the other one. Honestly, guys, though, were you not washing your hands before now? What's the deal? And why is all the why is all the bottled water and toilet paper gone at Costco? Like, am I missing something? Is like, is bottled water the cure? No, the cure is the cure. I can't think of any cure songs off the top <laughs> of my head. Why is all the soap suddenly gone from the stores? Were you guys not using this? What is happening with that? Um, everyone knows when you wash your hands, you go and you grab the nearest child and you rub the, your hands on their hair. <laughs> the uh, friction plus the greasy stickiness of children acts as a soap. <laughs> Although, Austin, have you seen our stash of soap? We've got a lot of soap. Yeah, um, I was raised to always take the soap with you when you leave a hotel and we don't, Just like Ross Geller. I don't take everything from the hotel where he's like, ooh, the light bulb is mine. That's just rude. That's adding extra work that the housekeeping staff would otherwise not have to do. Uh, they're going to replace the soap and stuff anyway. So we have like this shelf completely full of soap. So if you're needing soap, we're charging about 50 bucks a piece for the hotel soaps, 100 bucks a piece for the full size stuff, 150 for the guest soaps, but they haven't been used. We have a very fancy guest soap. It's shaped like a seashell. We actually might have a seashell one. I know we've got oh, some God. rose ones. I did you always have like the soap and towels that you weren't allowed to oh, use yes. because they were they were for guests. Oh yeah. And yes. then when guests would come, they would not use the fancy soap because it was too fancy to be used. Exactly. Guest soap and stuff doesn't make any sense. Nobody is comfortable using it. Just clean your hands. That's all you want. And you're supposed to clean them for at least 20 seconds. I decided to actually see how long I've been washing my hands for. It was and I'm pretty fastidious and it had not been 20 seconds. So my new thing is trying to name all 50 states before I'm allowed to rinse my hands. But you can't even do that in 10 minutes. We've tried this. Hey, I think I'm down to about 45 seconds now. Ooh. Yeah, um, I, I, get, and I get at least 43 of them, usually 47. It was one of those things that I never actually had to memorize in school. So it never came up. And now at my job, I have to list out states a lot. I really should just make a document where I copy and paste it. But where's the fun in that? So hear that, kids? States and capitals do come in handy. Eventually, maybe. 
don't get me started on state capitals. I couldn't know very many of them. We discovered last week or two weeks ago that New Hampshire doesn't exist. So. We could not name a single city in New Hampshire. No, we were at the office trivia and it was like, to what New Hampshire branch? And we're like, oh shit. I think we already talked about this. We might have. Uh, and uh, As you can tell, we are running out of material because we are really boring people. Well, it's daylight savings. I think if I had... Our know, brains are broken by a arbitrary t- change of time. Whoever is running for president, because clearly, like, we have... We don't even know anymore. It's a, we it's, don't even know. It's bedlam out there. Bernie, Biden, LaRange. Um, I think Tulsi's still in. She's got, hey, she's got one delegate from American Samoa. And if things go absolutely crazy, she still has a chance. I feel like Tulsi has also forgotten that she's running, and that's why she hasn't officially dropped out. Well, Tulsi is too busy trying to find Dalmatians to make her new fur coat. I was thinking she was looking for a young baby to start sucking the life out of and turning her hair blonde so she could stay young. For, I want to be forever young. So yeah, it looks like it's down to Biden and Bernie, which is it's like, not unexpected, unfortunately. Yeah, I was a big Warren fan, but you know what? I've come to the realization that even though Warren is my favorite, I like all of them, with the exception of Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm a little iffy on Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar. I dislike everybody. It's true, but you just dislike everybody. I'm a Hufflepuff. I make friends. You're a Slytherin. You are acknowledged as evil now, and I guess we can send you to the dungeons? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just wanted someone with a plan <laughs> who was also experienced. I don't see the problem with that. But at least we know where Bernie's been for the last three years. Where the fuck has Joe been? He's been on vacation. See, that's the thing. Bernie's like, oh shit, there's a problem in Washington. And Bernie and Joe's like, I'm going to the Bahamas. Joe Biden was like, I'm just going to ride the rails of Amtrak across America. It's like, so like. Or we, I think he was know- solving crimes with Barack Obama, according to that one documentary I read. I read that too. So speaking of like, you know, brilliant people with plans, I've got someone this week I'm going to talk about. Okay. Who you haven't heard of, you probably shouldn't hear about, has impacted virtually every part of life on Earth in incredible ways. So why shouldn't we have heard about them? Because he's an inventor and all of his inventions were bad. Not like normal bad. We're talking like end of the world bad. But it's impacted everything? Yeah. His name was Thomas Midgley Jr. Okay. So uh, he was, again, you've never heard of him. He was born in 1889 and he graduated with an engineering degree from Cornell in 1911, started work for GM, and in 1921, he discovered that tetraethyl lead prevented engine knock. Okay. Which basically, and like, you know, like when you're watching a movie and like the car breaks down and it starts to like sputter and make weird little like clicking and clunk, clunk, clunk noises. Mm-hmm. That's what engine knock is. So this yeah. is an, an agent that stops that. He also discovered that ethanol, which was just like alcohol, worked better. And ethanol is what we use now. But GM couldn't patent and make money off of ethanol. So they started pushing tetraethyl lead as the thing. But they'd only call it ethyl because everyone knew that lead was poisonous. So this new gas additive, they made a ton of money off of it. And he actually uh, midgley won an award in 1923 from the American Chemical Society. And then he went on vacation to Florida because he was suffering from lead poisoning. Florida does cure your lead poisoning. It's true. I mean, it's like you want to... It's got Disney World. There is zero lead in Disney World. You know how there's always all those Florida Man stories? Yeah. I read one yesterday that you would have appreciated, but you were asleep on the couch. It was Florida man gets caught by police after chase because he stopped to pet cats. 
I would. Oh my gosh! This is why we need police cats. They can stop these chases. They it's absolutely like, instead can. of running them down. It's like, oh my god, kitty cat! And they scoop the kitty cat, and then like the kitty's like, gotcha, and they handcuff them <laughs> with their dexterity. Uh, shockingly, our cats have opinions. Draco was uh, immediately in my lap trying to be in the podcast, and I had to throw him. And now Fezzik is up here being surly. Hey, he was sitting right here and purring, and then Draco came up behind him and uh, startled him from behind the blanket. This is, so the invention of lighted gasoline was really bad. And I'm going to tell you why it was so bad. Because when this lead additive was burned, it put lead particles into the air. Mm -hmm. So everywhere there was exhaust, uh, gasoline exhaust, there was lead being put in the air. Uh, We had known lead's been toxic since about 1850. And, but they thought it would be fine because nobody was drinking gasoline. Prove it. I mean, outside of Florida. (laughs) And uh, actually a DuPont chemical executive said that, described uh, tetraethyl lead as a colorless liquid uh, of Swedish odor and very poisonous if absorbed through the skin, resulting in lead poisoning almost immediately. Okay, I know you meant Swedish odor, but I heard Swedish odor. Hey, uh, the Swedish odor is pretty Swedish. It smells like you is what you're saying. Yep, I'm very sweet. <laughs> I'm saying you smell like gasoline. <laughs> I do smell like, okay. <laughs> you're so mean. I think the lesson we're learning today is that Maddie's just really mean to me. And, and of course, We're just teaching the kids out there what marriage is really like. Marriage is just your wife being mean to you until eventually you embrace the sweet, sweet taste of death. The Swedish, Swedish taste of death. It tastes like tetraethyl lead. <laughs> and in fact, speaking of the Swedish taste of death, <laughs> uh, five refinery workers died of lead poisoning in 1923 from working with this new additive. So they launched a like inquiry into the safety of it. Um, it was done entirely by GM. And let me quote directly from their findings. Actually, as, never mind, this isn't a quote. This is just me summarizing. Say, Let me guess. They just wrote the Radium Girls things down and changed some pronouns? Yeah, it's a lot like Radium Girls. Uh, they knew lead exposure was higher to anyone who was around cars or worked in cars, but decided that it was within acceptable levels. They did find le- lots of lead residue in garages and just around anywhere where a car was running, but it was low enough to be tolerated. And this is a direct quote from the from the report. They called it another generation's problem. So all of this lead buildup, it's fine for now. We'll make our kids clean it up. This is cool. You know, at least they were open about it, like, unlike the last couple of generations. There was a lot of, like, outcry over time about this. But again, all of the regulation and safety and, like, reporting on it was done within the industry. All the problems were covered up. There was just enough lobbyists that no one in the government ever really worked on it, even though hundreds of thousands of tons of lead were put into the air. And it really was another generation's problem. Even though we started to notice the extra lead in the 1940s and 50s, a geologist named Claire Cameron Patterson, who was a guy, even though his name is Claire, just going to clarify that, clarify <laughs> that. Oh, uh, bad. I didn't even mean to do that. To be embarrassed. Was trying to determine the geological age of the earth using radioactive rocks, but there was so much lead in the air, it was contaminating the samples, and he could not successfully determine how old the earth was using these methods. He also noticed that there was lots of lead in ice cores, but the higher lead levels from these samples were starting around the time that tetraethyl lead was being used in gasoline. So there was a marked increase in lead from awesome. this. The leaded gas lobby claimed that lead levels were normal. But lead had become so prevalent through leaded gasoline that normal levels were actually insanely, just incredibly high. When they finally, like, were going to court with this, they used bone samples from corpses they found from 
uh, about 600 years ago, their lead levels in their bones were 700 to 1,200 times lower than modern people. We had 700 to 1,200 times more lead in our bodies than people did before we started using lead and gasoline. So the normal level that they were saying was actually incredibly heightened. It's actually amazing what you can accept as normal because to them that probably was kind of a normal lead level because it's just what it is. It's what we're around all the time, so this has to be normal. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you switch from one job to another and what your first job is really stressful all the time and you just assume all jobs are really, really stressful all the time and then you get to your next job and you're not constantly stressed and you realize, oh, wait, that wasn't normal. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So this was them looking back at these old bones going, wait a second, this wasn't normal. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, it is estimated that 68 million children were exposed to toxic levels of lead between 1927 and 1986. And similar things are still happening in many parts of the country. Similar things are still happening. There was actually a... A very comprehensive study done in New Zealand of outcomes of children over time. And they found that kids who were living closer to roads and were exposed to more lead had just universally worse outcomes. They were lower intelligence, lower wages, just lower health than kids who were living further away from roads. And so that probably meant that that probably like fed into the whole the city life is bad for you thing that we talked about a few Mm -hmm. times that people were saying cities cause you all these problems and people in the cities are worse. Except for, you know, if there were actually, you know, people with larger problems there, it's because of us. Yeah. It's also been tied to rises in violent behavior. Oh, yeah. So people in cities, when we're saying it's that city life, no, it's the fact that we ignored the lead poisoning. It's just people who lived around anything that burned gasoline. Which is all of cities. All of cities and just everywhere. So America did finally ban leaded gas in 1975 for new vehicles and all leaded gasoline sales completely by 1986. But you want to hear the reason why? Why? It wasn't because of lead exposure. It was because there was a lot of people, you know, speaking out against lead exposure. But the actual reason was they had made new emission standards in vehicles that included the catalytic converter. Mm-hmm. And leaded gasoline um, gummed up catalytic converters and broke them down. So for the catalytic converter to work, we had to stop using leaded gasoline. And that's the only reason they got rid of it. I think it's interesting that we still call regular gasoline unleaded. Yeah. Because there is... like I. I always assumed diesel gasoline had lead in it. Yeah, just unleaded means that it doesn't have tetraethyl lead in it. Just use ethanol, which works better. It's been banned in road, road vehicles in most industrial countries since since around the year 2000. England still allows it in, because classical car enthusiasts lobbied against the government to continue <laughs> to allow its sale. They want to just Brexit their way off the earth. Yeah, so that might explain Brexit, actually. It's like, sure, he's killing children and making everything worse, but he really enjoys his old Rolls Royce. So what are we going to do? What's funny is we live around a whole ton. We we live near uh, a classic car museum. You know that, right? It's kind of hidden. I'll I'll tell you this. And nobody is complaining about it. They've had to, like, alter the engines, I'm sure. But nobody's like, man, I sure wish I could still have lead poisoning. Yeah, it's like you can alter the engines on these classic cars. These are just for people who don't want to, for whatever reason. Around here, everyone who's driving one of those cars has altered the engine so they'll run with unleaded gasoline. Of course, uh, it's still used in lots of third world countries uh, for exa- and like poor places like Afghanistan, North Korea. But most of the world, it's banned. However, it is still allowed in aviation fuel for propeller planes. Uh-huh. And um, children who live near airports do have a noticeably higher level of lead 
in their blood than children who don't live by airports because of this. Now, are we talking about like commercial airlines? Or are we talking about private jets that have the little propellers on them? Uh, just like little propeller planes. Okay. Yeah. Commercial airlines don't use leaded gasoline. Okay. So yay, leaded gasoline. And that uh, leaded gasoline also wasn't his only invention. Uh-huh. He also invented Freon, also known as chlorofluorocarbons or CFC. CFC. Freon also has to do with cars. It does. It's used in like, it's a refrigerant. They use it yeah. for refrigerators and air conditioning, but not anymore. Yeah, I was thinking it had something to do with keeping things cold. It's a refrigerant. Uh, it's It was actually a pretty good refrigerant because it was non-toxic and non-flammable. Unless which, you drank it. Which, hilariously, early refrigerators, the stuff they used as a refrigerant was toxic or flammable or could explode. So this fixed the problems of your refrigerator just catching fire and exploding for no goddamn reason. Did it fix the problem or just fix one of the causes of the problem? Because, you know, my fridge just keeps telling me it's going to explode. Are you still keeping dynamite in the refrigerator? Shh. Why do you keep dynamite in the refrigerator? It says store at room temperature right there on the box. Have you felt how cold our house is? Actually, it's really, really warm in here. It's really hot right now because it's 70 degrees out in March. Yay, global warming. Which we'll get into that very soon. Oh, great. His invention of Freon replaced a bunch of other deadly refrigerants and was later started to used in aerosol cans and inhalers as a propellant because it was non-toxic and it was a gas and it was great. And he actually won a Society of Chemical Industry Award in 1937 for his invention. Here's why it was bad. So remember back in the back when we were kids how they were talking about the hole in the ozone layer? Yeah. CFCs were the cause of that. Chlorofluorocarbons. So why are we being told to not use our aerosol hairsprays anymore? Because the air, the uh, propellant used in aerosol hairsprays was made of car- chlorofluorocarbons, and they're just being sprayed into the air, and they would make their way up to the ozone layer, which is about 25 miles above the surface of the Earth. The CFCs, through a chemical process called catalyzation, break down ozone, which ozone uh, is in the upper atmosphere and helps block solar radiation from making it to the surface of the Earth. If that went away, there would be huge increases in skin cancer, increases in cataracts. It would contribute a lot to global warming, and it would even inhibit crop growth, especially with rice, because there are bacteria that help rice grow that are very sensitive to radiation, and it could have just made rice go extinct. We first noticed this hole in the ozone layer in 1985 by NASA, and NASA scientists thought, this has to be a mistake. What the fuck is going on here? They started rerunning tests again, and it was still there. So they went back over old tests and old information they'd gathered and found that there had been a hole in the ozone layer since 1976 over at Antarctica that we just hadn't noticed until 1985. Wow. At its peak, the hole in the ozone layer was 21.2 million square miles. That's a big number. That is a big number. That is a very big number. That is a continental size of area. I didn't realize it was so fast. Oh yeah, it was very fast. They sent, they took high, they took uh, samples of the atmosphere from the high atmosphere and found very high levels of chlorofluorocarbons and found out what it was doing to the ozone. They determined that ozone layers were depleted all over the globe, except for in the tropics, because things are a little bit different there, because high atmosphere stuff is weird. But there is low ozone layer everywhere else on the globe, and again, leading to increased skin cancer and cataracts and just all sorts of bad nastiness. And shockingly, this is the amazing part for me, there was near immediate global action about this. Wow. Yeah. Uh, In 1987, they actually had the Montreal Protocol, which they were trying to phase out completely, CFCs, and all manufacture and use was phased out by 1996. Which, I mean, that was nine years, but still, 
that's pretty fast for some for a global initiative. It's very fast, and it's actually worked. Uh, the hole in the ozone layer is on its way to healing. As of 2019, it's the smallest it's ever been. It is down to 3.9 to 6.3 million square miles. It fluctuates oh, wow. seasonally. Reclu- that's so big, but that's like a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's a big difference. It's going to be a slow recovery. It's going to take many, many years for it to completely recover. But it's been going more slowly than we thought it would. And that's because in 2013, we find out that there had been a 60% increase of chlorofluorocarbon emissions from China. And it could possibly, if this increases, it could possibly undo all of the work that's been done. It's probably the reason why recovery has been 50% slower than expected. So it could be like done by now. Yeah, it could be done by now, but China. Come on, China. Dudes. That was chlorofluorocarbons were really bad. Midgley died in 1944 because of one of his inventions. Uh-huh. He had built a system of pulleys to pull- lift himself out of bed, and he got caught up in this system of pulleys and strangled by his own machine. Oh, no. Time magazine, in their list of the 50 worst inventions of all time, listed both chlorofluorocarbons and tetraethyl lead in its worst inventions. But not his bed pulley? Not his bed pulley. It only killed him. The others have killed thousands. It was up there with asbestos. DDT, the baby cage, and remember Alestra? They used it in potato chips for a while as a, like, you know, fat substitute. Oh, yeah. And it caused anal seepage. Yeah, I do remember that. So, yeah, he was the only twofer on the list of the 50 worst inventions. I had those chips. I did not have the anal linkage from them, though. You can still buy them on eBay. No, I'm good. They didn't taste good. Oh, I'll say um, uh, another note on Alestra. It is now used as an industrial lubricant. <laughs> Yay! So okay, was... so though, did we completely ban things from having Freon in them? What we have now is Freon is a different chemical that okay. doesn't interact with ozone this way, and it works as well as Freon did. It's just a different chemical that doesn't get sprayed into the air and mess with the ozone layer. Okay, I was confused because I was just looking at big trash pickup day stuff and it was like, if it has Freon in it, you ha- you have to pay this amount or drop it off this different way. And I'm like, so you're talking about that? I was thinking, are we having illegal Freon drops? No, uh, yeah, Freon, it's it's become kind of a term for any refrigerant. Okay. But yeah, we don't use chlorophyll. Kind of like Band-Aids are all of those. Yeah. All of the I think it's, uh, plasters. Oh God, I want to say a halide thing, but uh, no. chemistry. Are you ready for some questions? Sure. Will atmospheric lead poisoning be on the test? Yeah. Will the largely successful long-term fight of CFCs be on the test? Yeah, I think so. Because I remember how much we talked about the hole in the ozone layer as a kid. So granted, I don't think we talk about it anymore. No, it's because it's been fixing itself largely. And it's, again, this has been a big environmental success. But sometimes we can't. That's one of the problems is we don't talk about things in schools and then we do them again because the kids never learned about them. Yeah. Like things like this, if they're not learning about them, they might, be, they might not realize what a big problem the whole ozone layer actually was. We don't teach AIDS education anymore, no. but like look at what happened in Indiana when Mike Pence was emperor over there. And don't worry, kids, he's in charge of the coronavirus outbreak, so it'll Jesus be fine. Jesus Christ. So, Wash your hands. Yeah, and I really think we should talk about the hole in the ozone layer and how the entire world got together, changed an industry, innovated new ways of keeping things cold without using this chemical, and fixed the problem within a decade. That's remarkable. Like, and we all agreed, climate, this is causing problems with climate, and this is causing problems with people. And now we're like, global climate change, that sounds silly. Well, this could hurt businesses. 
Well, so could that. That's the thing. We go through these phases where we care more about business than we do about people. And for some reason, this one seemed to have actually go, oh, shit, let's go outside with people. But now that the world could literally just light on fire at some point, we're like, eh, money. Okay, will the link between lead exposure and poorer outcomes be on the test? I think it'll have to be at this point. Although yeah. that, that's, a, that's a risky game to play, too, though, because... Then people will come in with preconceived notions that like if somebody came in and applied for a job saying they were from Flint, Michigan, that might lead to a preconceived notion about their abilities or level of violence. Yeah. That's a question. It is. Yes, it's an important fact, but should we teach it? Do we want to avoid these preconceived notions? Because obviously, if you're from Flint, Michigan, it doesn't mean you have a lower IQ or you're more prone to violence or that you are overall less healthy. It just means that you are more likely to have these issues because we aren't helping you. And then, of course, Flint, Michigan isn't the only place with this lead in the water problem. Yeah, it's, it's all just the most the publicized. States. It is everywhere. Guys, like Google most lead in states or lead in cities. Flint isn't even number one on some of these lists. No. Like I think it's St. Joseph, Missouri, maybe that I was looking at that had really high lead levels. I know Jefferson City has a lot. I think they might have fixed it. I don't think it was on the most recent list I saw. Okay. So and uh But we got that fluoride in our water. We do. That government putting nanobots in our brains. They're trying to make us more compliant, but don't worry, we got our guns. We're gonna shoot all the fluoride out of our water. Uh and final question. Well the fact that GM knew that leaded gas was a problem and said to make it the next generation's problem be on the test. The first part could be on the test. The second part, absolutely not. We don't want to. We don't want to pretend that that's how we've kind of run things forever. And it's it is how we've run things forever, and how we are running things now. And I'm fairly certain how things will be run in the future, unless something drastic and crazy happens. It's like you're allowed to do it to yourself and yourself alone. Like there have been times where I've been like, eh. That's future Maddie's problem. But if it wasn't something that would affect other people, that's not how that game gets played. That was Midgley, the worst inventor ever, who has had a bigger impact on the atmosphere of the Earth than any other single organism. I like that you put it that way, like any other single organism. Yep. Because, you know, we've got, we've got like that one deer that runs through the woods and like is destroying everything about it. But this guy's worse than that. I don't know what joke I'm trying to make right now. I'm so tired. She's very tired. Poor Maddie. This fucking daylight savings time, man. I'm telling you, every year it messes with me. The other way also messes with me. We just need to stop it. Think of those of us with sleep disorders, guys. That would require thought. You know they're never going to think. Well, I was looking at a comment section in PR article before I came up here. Oh, oh, good. So you were already fired up. Well, you know, it never bothered me and I had children and we just got them up and I planned ahead. And so every night I started putting them to bed 15 minutes earlier slash later, depending on which way it was going. And it didn't, I'm like, yeah, Judy, you're 7,000 years old. You also stayed home with your kids and chances are they went to school at a more reasonable hour than we do. And your husband actually got to go to work at nine as opposed to six in the morning like teachers have to. Stop it. Your experience is not universal, nor is it modern. No, this isn't Leave It to Beaver. No, and Leave It to Beaver, she would have been way more understanding about people who had struggles with daylight savings time. How long has daylight savings time been a thing? Why aren't we covering that this week? I don't know. Because daylight savings time is the worst. We're just not acknowledging it? We're just not acknowledging it. Other than the acknowledgements we've already done? Other than the acknowledgement. We're not going to acknowledge it. It's It's not even funny. It's just stupid. Everything I've read about it is stupid. 
Like, no one liked it then. No one likes it now. George Bush wanted to get rid of it, and people fought him on it. And I, I don't agree with George Bush on many things, but we should have fucking gotten rid of Daylight Savings Time. He was right. He was right. Well, and people say we do it for the farmers. Well, I was one of the commenters was like, yeah, I'm a rancher. And this actually increases how dangerous my job is because the animals are not used to this new schedule and they get upset in either direction. And with one of the daylight savings, I can't figure out how all of it works. They're like, I go out there and it is still pitch black, which also increases the amount of danger to me. Yeah. One of my family members said it best is about daylight savings time is it doesn't help farmers. Cows don't tell time. <laughs> Cats fucking do, though. Yeah. I'll say this one. They didn't start bugging me until an hour later than usual. But the other way, when they're trying to wake me up at five in the morning and they're freaking the fuck out for two weeks. Daily hey! saving times is awful. Speaking of, oh, they're all four up here. Hi, guys. It must be. They must think it's time to be fed. It's 312 right now. So it's not time to be fed even if it wasn't daily time. But look at this. Look, all four. <gasps> I'm showing like you guys can see them. Normally only the boys are up here, but we actually even have Zumbi and Gigi, who I don't think has ever been up here while I've recorded. No, they they hear our voices and they get scared. It sounds like we're yelling. That's when the boys come out here. It's like, why are you guys fighting? And the girls are like, we gotta hide. They're fighting. Mm -hmm. So what you got for us this week? All right. Well, today I am going to be talking about the Navajo Code Talkers. Ooh. And my sources... Our Wikipedia, AmericanIndian.si.edu, History.navy.mil, History.co.uk, because the UK has better stuff on Native Americans than we do, NationalWW2Museum.org, and CNN.com. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot out there. So when we talk about the Code Talkers, especially the ones from World War II, because they were there in World War I. I did not know that. See, I'm starting us off strong. We tend to call them the Navajo Code Talkers. However, that is not... Accurate. There were soldiers, both volunteers and drafted, from different tribes, and the codes came from 14 languages, including Comanche, Hopi, Meskwaki, and Navajo. So they weren't just Navajo. They were from all these different tribes. And the language was not exclusively based on Navajo, just largely based on Navajo. So I'm starting off on brand new information here. I will admit everything I know about this, I learned from the Nicolas Cage movie. So what Nicolas Cage movie? Well, you don't know. There is a Navajo code talker Nicolas Cage movie set in World War II. I mentioned a movie later on, but I didn't look at what it was. <gasps> it's a Nicolas Cage movie. It's a Nicolas Cage it's movie. Called, like wind talkers or something. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big part of why we refer to them as Navajo code talkers. <gasps> Nicolas Cage lied to me. Well, I think they were called that then too, but he probably didn't bother to mention. Oh, wait, not everybody here is a Navajo. Nicolas Cage has never lied to me. Yeah, he also actually switched faces with John Travolta. He took his face off. Face, face off. off. <laughs> in World War One, the Germans began to tap into the Allied phone lines, and they had no trouble breaking their codes. There's even an apocryphal story of one of them jumping onto the phone line and calling them idiots, basically saying, if you're going to do this, you might as well just say exactly what it is. <laughs> Knowing this was happening, the troops tr- then tried to send people in person, but one-fourth of them were captured. They looked at other methods of communication, like different colored rockets and carrier pigeons, but they weren't fast enough or reliable enough. So the Germans started to learn about their tactics and plans ahead of time. Then a commander heard two of his soldiers speaking Choctaw to each other, and he suggested that Native Americans be brought in to see if their languages would serve to hide their plans, because the Europeans had little to no reference for Native American languages. This was a completely outside of their realm thing, and it worked. 
So a group of 19 Choctaws completed a complete a training section and created a code, but it wasn't used before the world war was ended. It was used on a more informal basis up until that point. They didn't have a rigid code. I think they might have just been speaking Choctaw to each other. And it did help them win several battles in France that led to the war's end. A German POW would say that their car, that their side couldn't figure out the language at all and that it likely led to the end of the war, at least in, uh, at least in part. But she also added that it was awfully ironic that we were telling these people to use their language to help us win a war while we were trying to st- stamp out their language at home. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, we, that's a thing we did. We did that. It's worth noting that at the beginning of World War One, Native Americans weren't even universally considered citizens. And we were still running boarding schools to kill off their culture and turn them into our versions of Americans. Yes, this is just about 100 years ago. We were told about these things happening in like the 1800s, back when, you know, it was so long ago, it doesn't matter. Oh, no, we were doing this to the mid 20th century. Despite all of this, thousands, thousands of these non-citizens whose cultures we were trying to stamp out joined the war effort in World War I with over 12,000 of them which was about a quarter of the entire male Native American population. Wow. Yeah. Then we get to World War II, which is when we more think about these guys. We had about 44,000 out of 350,000 Native American men and women serving, or about 13% of the entire Native American population. A World War I veteran named Philip Johnston had heard about the Choctaw Telephone Squad from World War I, so he, and he had grown up on a reservation. Basically, they knew that the, uh, that the phone thing had been happening in World War I, and then a guy named Philip Johnston had heard about this telephone squad. He had grown up on a reservation despite not being Native American, and he was like, hey, so Navajo is a language they probably won't get. Maybe we should try this this time. So they started with the army. They began to recruit Native Americans from a variety of tribes, including Comanche, Choctaw, Hopi, Cherokee, Chippewa, Oneida, and Meskwaki. And in 1941-42, they focused more on Navajo with a special focus on recruiting from Oklahoma because we were super awesome and just sent people there at one point. <laughs> Don't know much about that. Oh, no. Uh, the recruited people were simply told that they were being recruited, not why, because the mission was secret. And they recorded, recruited 29 Navajos to develop a code in about two weeks. That's how wow. fast that code took that to was... develop. Granted, it got expanded upon later on. But in the beginning, they developed an alphabetic code and then 211 words that meant something specific. Okay. Working together, the Navajos, Comanches, Hopis, and Meskwakis developed a code based on the languages. The first code was the one from the initial 29 Navajos who created that alphabetic code. They came up with a Navajo word for each letter of the English alphabet, largely using simple things like animals since the codes would have to be memorized. Ultimately, based on declassified documents, they had three separate words for each letter. So for A, we had Wolachi, which meant ant. We had Belsana, which meant apple. And Sinil, which meant axe. And they could use any one of those things as the letter A to further throw off the people who might be oh, hearing Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. Because like a simple alphabet code, if they keep using the same thing over and over again, can get broken. But if they're just using random, like, it could be any one of these three for everything. Uh-huh. That's really hard to break. Like, and they e- did that for all letters of the alphabet. And it's really hard to break. So those would be used to spell out, spell out messages. So if I wanted you to call AAA, I could say something like Wolachi, Belsana, Tsinil, and you would know AAA. Mm-hmm. And you, the translator and receiver, would write the words like I said and then and translate them into English. Because it would take forever to solely communicate this way, there was also code two. Words that were commonly used were given a Native American word to be used instead. 
So words that are commonly used in military service. Mm-hmm. And there were words that was everything from like just a standard verb or even things like at and or had a specific word that was used <laughs> instead of spelling them out. Sometimes they were direct translations. Sometimes they had pretty close meaning. Sometimes they had a pretty close sound. Some of them seem completely random because not everything that's in the military would translate directly into a Navajo word. For instance, they didn't have a word for submarine, but they did have the words for iron and fish. So they combined them to make submarine. They also had uh, one that I thought was really interesting was, and like I said, I don't speak Native American language, any Native American language. So tachine, which was a word that they used for battalion, but literally meant red soil, like the red soil after a fight. That's how I interpreted that anyway. So their red soil meant battalion, while battalions tend to get killed. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting choice. Uh, For months, they were usually related to the weather or the season of planting that was in that month. (laughs) But February, they used was chained, which meant squeaky voice. (gasps) Why? I have no idea. (laughs) And then the ones that were that for words that kind of sounded like the word they were trying to say. There was be sitten, which meant deer lay, which was the code for delay. <laughs> and there was another one for deer liver, standing in for deliver. <laughs> so I think that's really clever. Yeah. It's like, we don't have this exact word, so here's something that sounds kind of like it that we can use instead. And knowing something like that would help them memorize. After the code was created, the Corps created a code talking school. Ultimately, there were somewhere between 300 and 400 Navajo code talkers. So not just those 29 original ones, but somewhere between 300 and 400. After completing basic training and communications, plus having to memorize the code, all in all, there were 17 pages of code, over 600 different words they had to know. And you can't carry a code book with you. It all had to be memorized. Oh, man. You can find the entire list on history.navy.mil, but just like Google, type that into Google and then type code talker because the rest of the website title or website search box thing is really long. So if you just type that in and then type in code talk, you'll get directly to it. During battle, they were given the messages in English as the majority of those who passed them along did not speak the language. They then had to trip. Take the message, translate it into those 17 pages of code they'd memorized. They were sometimes given the message written down in English, which, of course, obviously they destroy afterwards. Mm -hmm. But they would not write down the translation at any point. They had to just translate it on the fly as they went through. And they had to make it as short a translation as possible. So they would not only translate it, but they'd translate it quickly, shortly, and without writing it down. According to John Brown Jr., one of the code talkers, they also made it as short as possible. The recipient would then translate it. And write it directly back into English. At no point would they write it in the in the code either. They would translate it directly into English in a logbook. So cool. Carl Gorman, one of the 29 original recruits, explained that they were able to memorize their book so quickly because their language had never been written in the first place. So they'd always had to memorize it in a way, always shared it just verbally. Huh. So they never had to get into this idea of writing down their own words. They always just had to memorize their own. He ultimately got malaria after serving in four major battles, but continued to fight for two years with malaria. Oh. 
until he was evacuated and treated for both malaria and what they then called shell shock, what we'd probably call PTSD now. So code talkers were not just sitting in some room somewhere translating the messages from safety. They were frequently on the battlefield and in fact couldn't even hide during enemy fire like the other soldiers could because they had to be available to send and receive messages about what was actively going on. The Navajo and Hopi were in the Pacific fighting Japan, which was possibly the most dangerous of the areas because the Japanese specifically targeted people like code talkers. If you had a radio, they were targeting you. The Comanches were in Europe versus the Germans, and the Meskwakis were in North Africa. Other groups were split pretty evenly among them. They not only had to know how to use and maintain their radio equipment, but they had to carry it on their backs as they traveled. Oh, those were not light either. No, they went into the military thinking they were just going to be handed a gun. And I kind of get the idea that this might have been harder. (laughs) In 2004, the National Museum of the American Indian interviewed a number of code talkers for Sam So before before the Sixth Fleet invasion of Iwo Jima because they were a major part of Iwo Jima. This entire code talking thing. Iwo Jima would not have worked without them. Remembers his officer telling all the people on board that they need to pray to whatever belief system they followed. And in fact, in many of the code talkers, remember being allowed to pray to their own religion. They weren't, nobody tried to stop them on like now where we're like, there's only one religion. And he said that a number of young kids joined him and the way he phrased it, I kind of think it wasn't just other Native American kids. It was somebody who was looking for someone to give them an idea that it was going to be okay. So they went to Sam who had this corn powder he was using and was doing this whole prayer that probably looked like it actually really meant something to him. And I think that's what people would be drawn to more than just, you know, silently sitting and praying. And especially if they were starting to lose any faith they might have had because they're about to go die and all of their friends are dead. An absolute just like heavily defended meat grinder of a fight. Yeah. Another soldier, Charles Chibity, one of the 17 Comanche code talkers, was at Utah Beach in Normandy on D-Day. He said he absolutely would not do it again. <laughs> but if they decided to bring this back, he would gladly have taught kids, the young, the new people, how to use the language for the code. Frank Sanchi, a Meskwaki code, talk- code talker, was even taken as a POW. And it was later stated by Marine Signal Officer Major Con- Howard Connor that were it not for the Navajos, the Marines would never have taken Iwo Jima. Basically, there's no way we would have succeeded in this war were it not for the code talkers. If I learned about them in school, it was a passing mention at best. Yeah, an extra page. It was like the little like... The little corner thing. The little that corner thing. Had. It's like... Like, it's like a paragraph, and it's just kind of off to the side. It's a little thing. It's like, this happened too. Yeah, and it wasn't on the test. It was not on the test. It was never even like, those little corner things were often not even mentioned in class. We just skipped no. them. I would I would read it because I read faster than everyone else in my class. I'm bragging. And I'd like, just like, I might as well read these too, because I can't bring out an actual book. I have to sit here while everyone's reading and be bored. What's funny is just the other day we were watching that episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Captain Holt and Amy are in a speed reading competition. And Austin knows that I'm Amy Santiago. Yes. And I was talking, I was saying to Austin, like, God, you read so slow. I always have to like hold my phone up to you for 10 times longer than it takes me to read something. It's because you're shaking it in front of my face. I'm not shaking it. You can also hold the phone yourself and you don't. It takes you so long to read things. Now I'm bragging. Yeah. I read super fast. They, um... Anyway, we were never really taught about this in no small part because it wasn't even declassified until 1968, which might mean a lot of our own teachers never really learned about them. Wow. And you don't tend to teach about things that you yourself don't know about. 
they weren't even allowed to really tell their families what they'd been doing in the war. Just in case you wanted to use this code again in the future. Then we skip ahead to 2000. A couple of little things had been done for them between 1968 and 2000, but nothing really major. December 21st, 2000, Bill Clinton awarded the Congressional Gold Medal to the original 29 World War II Navajo Code Talkers and silver medals to each person who ultimately qualified as a Code Talker, which is around 300 people. Now, when I say Navajo Code Talkers, I mean he awarded them to the Navajos. None of the others? That's kind of how I understand it based on what happens Uh. later on. The following year, George W. Bush presented those medals. So they were awarded, then he presents them to four people. Five total of the original 29 were still alive, and one of them couldn't be there. So four people, they'd waited that long. Hmm. So everybody's dead. The other 24 gold medals were given to the surviving family members. In 2006, the Hopi Code Talkers were finally recognized in a documentary for the Smithsonian. And in 2007, the Choctaw were given recognition, but they were literally all dead. 100% of them had died already. And they were given the Texas Medal of Valor. In 2008, Bush awarded that Congressional Gold Medal to any code talker from World War I or II or World War II who had not already gotten one, basically one who was not a Navajo code talker. And silver duplicates were sent to the code talkers or their next of kin. Now, I don't really understand what that all means. My guess is that they had a few like honorary ones and they sent silver duplicates just because they were cheaper. Mm-hmm. Because remember, we were talking 300 to 400 people in the end. Yeah. Or their next of kin. In 2017, you might remember this because it's real nice because Trump is president. Three remaining Navajo Code talkers and the president of the Navajo Nation, Russell, Russell Begay, went to the Oval Office with Trump for a ceremony to pay tribute to the Code Talkers. And the executive director of the National Congress of American Indians talked about the high level of military service that Native Americans have undergone. There were no members of the Choctaw Nation alive to see this, nor were any of their children alive. We waited so long that the entirety of the Choctaw Code Talkers were dead and the entirety of their children were dead. That's how long we waited to recognize these people. So obviously during this event, Trump used Pocahontas as a derogatory term to refer to Elizabeth Warren. Of course he did. Which is why you may remember him being insulting in front of Native American people, but you not might not remember what the ceremony was. I've given up on trying to remember every single stupid thing he's done. It's impossible. It is he's much more than He's talking about the se- Pocahontas thing, not about the ceremony that was supposed to honor no, them. No, no. Just every, yeah, like every time the president has stuck his foot in his mouth over something just completely stupid that's like extra dumb yeah this was supposed to honor these people many of whom died without whom the war would not have won and he decides to say quote i want to thank you because you are very very special people you were here long before any of us were here although we have representative in congress who has been here a long time longer than you They call her Pocahontas. So first of all, I think he's saying that Elizabeth Warren is immortal. She is the Highlander. Yes. But you're literally using this time to use a racially driven insult about someone. Yeah. And it's like, it's much like everything he does. It's like, you can tell it's like, oh, he was trying to tell a joke, but he doesn't understand humor. He is too stupid for humor. Racism. That's what this is. Because then 
He turned to one of the code talkers because they were obviously behind him during the ceremony about them. But you know what? I like you. You are special people. So basically saying, I don't like Native Americans in general, but I guess you guys are okay. What makes his insult even worse is that they were trying to impress upon him how many Native Americans had served in the military over the years, most without being drafted. Most of them fucking volunteered. This is important because we literally took their homes from from them, even if they had allied with us prior to that, like the Choctaw did in the War of 1812. After the war, we're like, cool, now give us your land. And they're like, but we helped you. Okay, give us your land. Keep helping us. That's great. We relocated thousands upon thousands of people, leaving thousands of them dead during the Trail of Tears. And yet they still joined our military. Okay, uh, Trail of Tears. Another thing we gloss over in school. I remember learning a little more about it because I think Oklahoma was more involved and they couldn't really leave it out. Oh, man. just like we, And of course, um, Andrew Jackson, like the Supreme Court saying, no, you can't like forcibly relocate these American citizens. And Andrew Jackson says, watch me, punks. And he did it anyway. Because Andrew Jackson's a sociopath. And so we've done all of this to these people. And this, a big part of us was saying, look, America, look how much our people have done to serve you in spite of all the ways you've hurt us. And Trump used this as an opportunity to insult them. He may think he was insulting Elizabeth Warren, but he was doing so using one of their historical figures. And not even one of these were like, what, these were Choctaw? Uh, this was, I think, everybody. This was everybody. Okay, so yeah. It's like, it might not even have been one of their historical figures, because... I'm talking, like, this is, this was one talking about all of the different generation, all of the different military people, all of the people who've been involved with the Code Talkers and in military service in general. So I don't think there's been a single tribe that wasn't involved in some way. Yeah, it's it's like, oh, just... The way we treat all Native American tribes as the same, even though that'd be like saying, oh, yes, the great Italian hero, Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, and then this is where I mentioned that the 2000 film Wind Talkers is a big reason why we only think about the Navajos being involved. Yeah. At that end, you already took the buried. We didn't bury the lead. We unearthed the lead very early in that. It's a so. Nicolas Cage movie. Basically, it boils down to, though, because it's in pop culture as Navajo, we only think of Navajo people. This was thousands of people overall, hundreds specifically involved with this from a variety of different tribes. And it wasn't even that good of a movie. Like, it's a Nicolas Cage movie. Wait, oh God, he doesn't play Native American, does he? No, no, he plays the white officer. Okay. It It is a weird mix of war movie and white savior movie. Yeah, that sounds about right. The last of the original 29 who developed the code, Chester Nez, died in 2014. Four of the nine remaining talkers died in 2019. One who had gone to and become a New Mexico state senator died in 2019 while still in office. And two have died already this year. That means that there are only two remaining code talkers as of the time we're recording. This really draws into sharp relief how many of them died before any kind of recognition of their accomplishments were doled out in the first place. And that is the Navajo code talkers or the Native American code talkers. Or as I saw them on most places, apparently they're still officially the American Indian code talkers. So I'm just going to say the code talkers. The code talkers. Although we've used a variety of languages over the years for codes. This is when we're talking about code talkers, people know who you're talking about. Yep. Man, it's a bummer. Yeah, as, as a country, oh, we are very bad at recognizing minorities when they do something heroic. And this is yet another one of those cases. Yeah, even in these, like everything I was reading made a point of pointing out the white guy who was like, you know, it might be a great idea. 
I'm like, you know what you guys could have done is just look at your records from the first time as a, and go, oh, wait, as opposed to waiting for a white guy to suggest it again. But OK. Yeah. Anyway, will the fact that the code and code talkers represented several tribes be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that we likely would not have taken Iwo Jima without them be on the test? No, because we have to talk about those Medal of Honor winners that we always hear about. N- not that we were probably the Medal of Honor winners, but... but it's like, we want, we want to talk... They're not talk- the only ones who were there. Yeah. We're going to show the guys putting the flag on the hill and talk about a couple of guys who won the Medal of Honor, and then we're moving on. Yep. Will the fact that we were trying to eradicate their language at home, but using it to our advantage in battle at the same time, be on the test? Oh, no, you cannot show hypocrisy in school. And that is the Code Talkers. Man, we had some, like, weird bummers, but not our usual bummers, of genocides. It was only tangentially genocide, but, like, this genocide is a weird Genocide light. This Diet is... genocide. Genocide light. Mm-mm. With, now with Alestra. What is going on here? What? You look like you're having an allergic reaction. Oh, that's where, uh, there's this, basically, Zumbi likes to wake me up by clawing at my arm. That's where Zumbi likes to claw at my arm, and I was not waking up this morning for her. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, she gets skin rashes, I get attacked by cats. Well, I think the cats might understand that I'm allergic to them. I'm allergic to their saliva, their dander, and their urine. So if a cat decides to knead on me and it goes into the skin at all, that means I'm getting a little bit of cat urine in my skin and it just swells. So they're very yeah. good to me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what we're saying is to whatever dermatologist is listening to our podcast. Goldmine. Like, Goldmine. Just like, sh- like you should probably get in contact with us somehow and say, hey, I want to look at your skin. Give me money. I will advertise you on my show if you let look at my skin for free. Yeah. Ooh. So where where if where could this fictional dermatologist come get, come contact us? Well, they could find us on the Twitters at on the test pod, on Instagram at on the test pod, at Facebook Facebook Facebook. It's where Ooh. the chickens are. I was about to say it's Facebook dot com slash on the test pod or at on the test pod dot com. I thought Facebook was when you played the organ by smashing your face into the keyboard. Took you a minute there. It did. Well, I was laughing too hard and you interrupted me. Well, I kind of thought that you'd lost the trail of the joke. And so I was trying to save you. Never. I never lose the trail of the joke, except like for the five times I've done it this episode. Yeah, man. This daylight savings time. We are at, not at the top of our game today. And we're not even that good to begin with. <laughs> hey, I think we're really good. And that's why you all need to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends and actually download it. I've found that my numbers go up better if the thing is downloaded. So download it. Even if you're not listening to it right away, even though you should and I know you want to, download it. And I'm sorry to all of my other podcasts that I listen to that I don't download first because I didn't know that that mattered. Yeah, I always always download, but that's just because like the Wi-Fi is spotty at work. All right. Well, I don't have a whole lot lot else to say. There's not a whole lot exciting going on right now. Not really. I mean... Uh, I think, what, next week is St. Patrick's Day? Are we doing anything for that? Maybe. Um, we're not going anywhere. No, no. So why go anything for St. Patrick's Day? It's just... Like, I'm allergic to beer. You're allergic to alcohol. And I hate the color green. We all we we also don't like people and crowds and crowds of people. That is very true. So I guess on that note... Class, class dismissed. dismissed.